Hey, what's up? This is MP Radio. Always make progress, and we are your hosts, Shankar Bhattacharjee, Fractal Biomechanics on Instagram, and and I am Sean Astorga. This is the official podcast of AMP's mentorship program for rehab clinicians and fitness professionals, where we help you differentiate yourself by getting your clients more long-lasting results. On today's episode, we have our friend Mike Reinhardt. Mike. What's up, man? Thank you for joining us today. Can you please do our guest the honor of introducing yourself, who you are, what you do, and your mission on this wonderful planet of ours? Absolutely. Well, first off, thank you very much for having me. Um, as Sean just said, my name is Mike Reinhardt. I'm a performance physical therapist. Um, the last, I think within the last six or seven months, I recently moved to the uh, New Jersey area. So I'm actually like right next door to Sean. I think we're like, what, 30 minutes from each other now? Last man. Um, but, yeah. But yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> it's close. It's small. It's a small world out there, but um, I've been a I've been a performance physical therapist for probably about five years now. Um, I I was a well, let's go back a little bit. Like, what kind of got me into this? I've told this story a couple of times, but I had the the story of when I was in high school. I w- fell in love with the gym. I think I was a freshman in high school. I was interested in fitness, looking better, getting bigger. Like, I was never a great athlete, but I always loved sports. I always loved moving. I loved training. So I started like self-taught the first two or three years of high school and I just kind of made mistakes. I tried to figure stuff out. I was like, how do I get bigger? How do I get stronger? How do I get faster? That's kind of what I kept asking myself. And I liked the experimentation of it. I liked trying something and then assessing the results. And then when it didn't work, I had to kind of come back and problem solve. And the, the funny thing is that's what we do every day as PTs, right? So I like started this at, a, at an early age without realizing it. It was just a passion of mine. Um, then I realized as I was finishing up high school, like, hey, I love training. I love exercise. I love science. So I got into exercise science. And at that time, I kind of thought I was going to follow this path of exercise science and maybe like a master's in nutrition. So I could kind of pair those two things because I thought, hey, this is a good idea. Like this seems kind of holistic. Um, And as I got through my first couple of years of undergrad, I was like, well, I really like it was the kind of like the 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 true dawn of CrossFit where it was getting more and more popular. You're hearing a lot about like Kelly Sturette, Mobility Wad. Um, It's kind of like the early days of, of some of the more popular PTs who kind of had like a social media presence. And that kind of geared me towards that like performance side of things where I said like, Hey, like I like, I like working with athletes. I like working with performance, but how can I kind of bridge that with some of this like rehabilitation or long-term planning? So I, I got into PT school um, after my fourth year of under finishing up my, my undergrad career. And then because of that, I had some phenomenal clinical experiences, which I'm sure we'll talk about on this episode that have kind of brought me to where I am today, but fast forward about five years. And I've, I've had the opportunity of, being a clinic director, I've had the opportunity of mentoring. I think I've personally had over 15 PT students. Um, I've gotten to take part in mentorship programs. I've gotten to take part in teaching continued education opportunities, both in person and online. So I've been very, very blessed with a lot of opportunities. And I think similar to both of you on this, it's like, I have a passion for helping others and for teaching. Um, And I've realized like, I've always liked the one-on-one treatment side of things, but I also really enjoy the teaching mentorship and kind of the broader impact. Um, and that's, that's why, honestly, I think why I'm on here today. Like, I love kind of sharing that passion and seeing how we can have more like a, a broad spectrum effect. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, no, thanks for sharing all that. What are some of those clinical experiences that you've, you've had that have been impactful that you just mentioned? Yeah, so um, I went to University at Buffalo. So we actually had to do 52 weeks worth of clinical experiences. So we had five separate clinicals. Uh, my, it was a lot. My, so my I was doing the math. One. I was like, I don't think ours was 52. It, it was a lot, but it was 12 I think ours was like 45 or something like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it was like, <laughs> if I did the math right, it was like two eight week and then like three 12 weeks. 
So my okay. first two, I got my like subacute in a skilled nursing facility out of the way. And I did an acute care actually in Montefiore Wakefield. So I was in the, basically in the Bronx living with one of my good friends. And then my last three were all outpatient because I knew I wanted to be in like outpatient sports setting. So my third one was a, was with another good friend of uh, Anthony Albano, who's a PT in Buffalo. My fourth one was at rehab to perform with Anthony and Reno. That was like in the very early days. I think that was the, I was like the first student at that location. And then the last one was at IFAST with Bill Hartman, who I know you're familiar with as well. So yeah, I had awesome. three, at least three very phenomenal instructors who all had different backgrounds and different perspectives, which was I, amazing. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize that's how you pronounce Anthony's last name. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. If you listen to this, it's, it, I've definitely misspelled it a number of times and I apologize for that. <laughs> I, I didn't realize that I, you know, it's, it's silent, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's not I Reno, it's Anarino. Yeah, man, look at that. I learned something today and it's still, uh, it's only <laughs> nine in the morning. <laughs> Uh, what what are some of the things about like um, working with like Bill, working with Anthony, like that were um, you found valuable as a student? Because I would imagine that those are two very well. I know Bill. Uh, I mean, I've worked with him in that capacity, so I, I can speak to that. But um, I would imagine as a student, like those are very very good uh, ways to grow quickly. Working with those two. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the first the first thing that comes to mind, like so when I when I was Anthony's student, like he's he, for those that don't know him, he's currently a, a performance PT in the NBA with Washington Wizards. Um, when he was my CI, he was actually less than a year out of school. So I was his very first student as well. So it was cool because even looking back on it and in the moment, we were both learning, maybe not equally, but like we were both learning different things at the same time because he was getting situated in his new role of being a clinic director and opening this new, this new clinic that had been, uh, that I was the first student at. And I was in the process of getting ready to become a full-fledged PT, but I didn't have that outpatient, like higher, uh, like higher volume, higher diversity caseload quite yet. It's like we both learned a lot in the 12 weeks I was there. Um, but the thing that struck me the most is he was always he's always very open minded and he's always open to feedback and questions and, and critiques and like better ways to do things. I think one of the things that was hard for me because of the way that the PT school is regimented is it's very like black and white. It's like there is no gray area. It's like, OK, this is what we expect in this presentation. This is the diagnosis. This is how we treat it. But like as we as we all can attest to, like in the real world, that's not how things go. Like we need to be, we need to be a little bit reactive. We need to be able to kind of delve into uncertainty and being more open-minded and receptive to like, Hey, if you can admit that you don't know the answer to something, but you give a good background for here's what it could be. Here's what I think might be going on. Here's some things that contribute to it. And here's what we're going to try. Like if you give somebody like a, a, a more concise plan, or at least that you tell them your process, then it's easier to get buy-in and then they understand where you're going versus I think we've all made the mistake of saying like, Hey, let's see you for three or four weeks. And then it should be better by then. And then three or four weeks comes around and guess what? It's not better. So then I was lucky because I had Anthony in my fourth clinical for 12 weeks. And then right after that, I had Bill. So I, I kind of had like two, obviously Anthony didn't have 25 years of experience at that time, but two very similar minded thinkers from how they approach problems and how they communicate. And then I had Bill for my very last rotation. And luckily I knew him beforehand. So it wasn't as intimidating as, as it would have been otherwise. Uh, but then I had him for 12 weeks and, and he's just, for those of you that don't know him, he's just, he's a, he's a master. Like I associate him to like Dr. House of, of PT. Like he's just so good at seeing problems coming from different approaches and kind of synthesizing a tremendous amount of very diverse and dare I say like eclectic information into like a single cohesive package. And when you see it in person and when, when you've worked with him, it's, it's truly amazing. Like I think we all aspire to be at that level. Um, and I, I will make no claims of being anywhere near that at this point, but like, I'm trying to, 
as you would say, it's like safe to fail experiences and you basically learn through your failures. So when you make a failure and you can adapt to it, your long-term uh, rate of improvement is going to be much greater. Uh, yeah, that's like awesome. When did, when did you uh, like uh, get mentored by him? Those mm -hmm. 12, which year? I think it was, uh, I think, I think it was 2017 was when I was a P2 student. Yeah. I think it was like early 2017. I think I graduated that. Was that 2017 or 2018? I've lost track of years. And then it yeah. was, uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's hard to say. And then um, I think it was a year or two later, I went back and I took his intensive. Oh, like he has yeah. massively evolved from mm -hmm. 27 to the 2023 version. Like absolutely. Huge. Huge. And, and I think that's the other thing. It's like every, everyone that I've referenced is like being a great mentor is they never stop learning. And I can tell that about both of you guys as well. It's like, you're always looking for more information, better, best practices, better ways to do things. And, and even just getting like almost like dissenting opinions to problem solve and see like, is there a better way to do this? Yeah. Keep an open mind, man. I mean, you just basically like define growth mindset, right? When in your, yeah. uh, <laughs> why, why working with them was, was so beneficial to you. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, I think like having those, I, I did not, uh, when I was in PT school, I did not seek out uh, those types of opportunities. I didn't really know what I wanted to do as a second career for me. And uh, I just kind of learned quickly in the moment, like what I definitely did not want. And mm -hmm. like, that's why I gravitate towards people like Bill, because I'm mm -hmm. like, right, he's helped me, yes, clinically, but also just become uh, a better thinker, right? And how I approach mm -hmm. problems outside the realm of physical therapy and everything, right? And it's just helped me grow as a human, right? Which has translated into growth as a, as a professional. So I think finding those those mentors is like extremely, extremely valuable. Um, so it's cool to hear you, your your uh, perspective on the situation. Let, um, let me share, share a story uh, <laughs> regarding like Bill's model and how it evolved. So I've been training a client who is pretty overweight and I had started with supine but it didn't really work that great uh, because of like the breathing is not great he was spending and all the ribs didn't want to come down and I, I was like okay supine does not work what can I do and then you you start uh, you get start getting those flash, flashbacks of Bill's videos and where he mentions put them in a space where they have access to Okay, today I did uh, today I did a drill with him with his hands on a box with his feet on the floor, slightly out and this way, like uh, capturing the medial points of contact. And my God, that stiff guy on every other drill, his shoulder ER went from 20 to 75 and IR went from 10 to 15 to 45 to 50. Like what? I think that uh, for me, the the greatest concept has been put them in a space where they have access to and then slowly move them uh, like in the, towards the center, like huge well, learning experience. To, but to, to that point, right? It's like a lot of people, what are the questions that we get asked, right? In like on Instagram and DMs, mentorship, yeah, yeah, yeah. how do I improve my IR? How do I improve my well, ER? It's like, well, exactly. like that's like, I get the question. I, I appreciate it because I used to ask questions like that. But now like, that's what I'm saying with like someone like Bill is like a mentor is like just a, being able to problem solve in the moment. Like it's hard and it's not easy and you have to be okay with making a decision, not knowing what the outcome is going to be. But then yeah, you yeah, take yeah. that information and you synthesize it, you know? So when I think part of it too is, oh, sorry, I was just going to say, I think part of it too is like, you get better at asking the right questions. Like you're no yes. longer asking general questions. You're asking questions yeah. that are very specific to that, to that situation. Exactly. Yeah.
Yeah. And it's also just like, okay, this, this didn't work. Why, why didn't this work? What could I have done better? Did I coach it correctly? Did I pick the wrong thing? Did it like encore Did I put them in supine and that doesn't really make sense now that I'm thinking about it. Like just being able to like go through that process and like, then of course, pattern recognition and like, you start to like see the same things over and over again. And you're like, you get more refined and, you know, just goes with failing, man. Learn, learn from your failures or no failures, right? There's no, (laughs) one thing that I've learned is, um, I've also started training two other overweight people. Overweight people, bad breathing patterns, supine does not work. <laughs> at, least, at, at least initially. At least I mean, initially. It, going back to that, it's like when you start to think about it, it makes sense, right? Because you're putting them in a position where gravity is literally pushing everything down directly into yeah. them so it has nowhere to go. So like when you look at it through that lens, it's like, oh, it starts to make more sense. Now you can ask better questions like, well, what position would be more favorable? It's like, okay, let's go sideline or let's go do a modified standing position. It's like, oh, now it makes sense because we're managing the situation a little bit better. So it's, yeah. it's cool to start piecing those things together, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then what you, what's going to really walk, rock your world, Encore, is when the this, this stuff you think is going to work doesn't and you put them in supine and it does because then you got to figure out why. <laughs> <laughs> it never ends, man. <laughs> um, and Mike, also this... Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, you, so I, I was hoping you could speak to... You have really good experience clinically, uh, but also uh, professionally at Rehab to Perform, and now you are at uh, Resilient. Can you speak to, I guess, what drew you maybe to those two practices? Yeah, for sure. So I think I, I think I mentioned it. So Anthony, when he was my my fourth CI, I was at Rehab to Perform, the Germantown location. That was in the very early days of Rehab to Perform. So I think at that time it was like there might have been like five or six clinicians in the whole company at that point. So it was very much like a like a a growing um, operation. Um, and there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of and there still is. There's a lot of passion. There's a lot of uh, intellect. And it was very cool to be part of that and to kind of see the direction it was going. And I love like the setup is very much, it's a, it's a clinic that's like a gym, right? So you've got turf, you've got strength training, you've got squat racks, you've got trap bars, like you've got access to all the tools that we would expect as strength conditioning professionals, but in the, the, the realm of like a performance setting. So I think a lot of all those things drew me in. And as a young professional, I knew like I was very humble in that I knew I didn't know it all. And I was trying to say like, well, what can I how can I get myself in a situation where I'm going to learn as much as possible? I'm going to be around great people. I'm going to be able to kind of like the idea of like expediting your career path, but also um, kind of building yourself up as you go. So when I got out of school, I briefly did travel PT for about four or five months. Um, that was more of a personal thing where I just wanted to travel. I wanted to see these. I went to the West Coast. So I got to spend some time in Washington State, which I, was a phenomenal time. Um, and then shortly after that, I took my, let's say like my first real PT job at R2P. And I was a staff physical therapist, which I was there from, I think I was there for a little over four years. So I started as a staff PT. And during the time there, I went from staff PT to clinic director. Um, I was, like I said, I was blessed with having over a dozen students during that time. And I was also able to tell, um, take part and start RGP Academy, which is kind of our like continuing education platform. So I think like that, that career trajectory was, it was everything I could have asked for. And I had a phenomenal experience. I had great colleagues. Um, it was kind of one of those things where I just, my trajectory was so great that it got to a point where I started to feel like I was kind of like plateauing. And I, as you guys said, like, I felt like there were things that I want to learn more of and do more of. And I felt like I was kind of spread very thin just across my responsibilities. So that, that kind of feeling of like having hit a plateau was ultimately what kind of led me to my transition to resilient where I am now. And that was just simply from a standpoint of giving myself a little more headspace and like mental bandwidth and being able to kind of problem solve these things a little bit deeper and shift some of my focus towards more of the like content creation, more focus on mentorship um, and other opportunities in the, in the future. That's kind of like, that was my 
RGP trajectory, which again, I can't recommend it enough enough. They take, they now have eight clinics and I think they take, they have to have at least like a dozen students at any given time. So they, they have relationships with pretty much every major PT school. So if you're looking for like the outpatient physical therapy world, I strongly recommend checking them out. Yeah. And I can, I say this all the time, whenever they come up is like any, any like student or new grad that I have come across who has done an internship there or has just been a PT there, like they come out, like they're, they come out hot, like they're ready to go. Like they're like, I would say like, I don't know how to quantify it, but they are definitely ahead of like your typical like new grad where you know, they don't really know what to do to have a clinical thought process or anything like that. I think that speaks a lot to um, just the company as a whole. And just like the, um, when I took the blueprints course a couple of years ago, um, I got those vibes. Like this is like literally what they're doing inside of their like clinical uh, instructor like program, you know, relationship, which is really cool. Which which course did you take? Um, I think it was just called Blue Blueprints. Was, was it no? Was it in person? Was it the one in person? Yeah, in person. Oh, New, York. New York City. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. it was uh, Anthony it was and Jared, right? Anthony and Jared. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. But like, I mean, like, so I, I'm like a little, you know, I'm more, more seasoned. Actually, Jared called me that. Yeah. In the, in the course, he was like, hey, you're a little more Rude. seasoned. Yeah. Like, come on, man. I know what that means. I got a lot of gray hairs in my beard. But uh, um, no, but uh, I was like, man, if like this course, like coming out of school, mm-hmm. like that is like, that's money. If you're a PT mm-hmm. or strength trainer or whatever, Cairo yep. doesn't even matter. Um, because like the, the emphasis on like the clinical decision-making and just like the critical thinking aspect of things that we don't really get too much in school, right? In school, we're taught, here's your musculoskeletal system. Here's your neural system. Right here is your reproductive, well, I don't know, reproductive really matters much in this context. They don't, they don't but you get, yeah, yeah, <laughs> actually, yeah, yeah. But you know what I'm saying, right? Like they, they teach it in parts and it's like, you really got to like put it all together yourself kind of and figure out like what things matter and what not, what doesn't matter. And I think that that course does a really, really good job of of that and there's a practical component so even if you're like exercise library is lim- the limiter it's like you're going to get a bunch of stuff there that you can implement right away so i thought it was really 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 well well done i'm sure it's gotten better since i took it a couple years ago awesome no i definitely appreciate that i mean it, it's interesting because like that course quite literally came from the like we created it out of the necessity of seeing the same problems with students over and over again of like what were their knowledge gaps when they were coming to us on their clinical and we we're kind of saying like how could we condense all this information into a course that would expedite this process or give people at least enough of a background that they could then learn and make their own decisions. So like you said, it's like going back to what are your principles? What is your basic clinical decision-making and give you like the basic tools for like, where can you start? Like, it doesn't need to be, it doesn't need to be super high level, but like, how can you, how do you teach somebody to squat hinge? How do you teach them to like go from like a walking to return to run progression? How do you get them into some change of direction type stuff? How do you integrate plyometrics? Like things that I think we all converse about like very, very frequently. But as a new as a new grad or even a student, oftentimes they're just not exposed to those things. Like I know we didn't talk about any of those things during my PT school experience. Like it was all very self-taught or based on people that I I knew and respected. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And same, similar for me. Like I worked uh, I worked at a, a company when I graduated called uh, Parabolic Performance and Rehab, and I was just fortunate that the people I was surrounded by there like were all into like learning all this stuff. Like I would never probably have been exposed to otherwise. Um, but the course reminded me, it like brought me like a flashback back to like that time when I was there. Cause that was like literally what we were trying to like figure out and learn how to do and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, wow, there's a, there's a course for it now, which is kind of cool. <laughs> no, it's awesome. Um, have you always been interested in the uh, being a clinical instructor, taking students? Yes. So I, I think, I don't know if I, I may have had this conversation with you or a number of other people, but 
I think part of it stems from the fact that I had such good mentorship myself. Like I had so many good CIs. I had people even when I was in high school, like personal trainers who took me under their wing and kind of, I think they realized they just saw the stuff I was doing like, Hey, this kid's motivated, but he doesn't have good direction. So let me help him out a little bit. And I think having those experiences, both from high school, undergrad, all the way through my clinicals and having people that truly invested time, effort, and, and, and everything in my own success has made me want to give that back as well. Um, Cause I know like I've, I've had numerous moments as a clinician where I look back at an experience that I had while I was a student. And because of that experience, I had a good idea of what to do, or at least I felt more competent in that situation because I'd seen something like that before, or I, I discussed a problem like that in the past. So I think a lot of it was just like having, having had such time invested in me and seeing the, the benefit of that. It's kind of one of those things where, like, I know how powerful it can be and I want to give back. And I think it's, it's, it's very much symbiotic because I enjoy teaching, but I think it also helps to increase their, their, um, like their access to information and to spread, just generally spread knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And you kind of touched on this a little bit, but, um, working with, I haven't worked with students like directly out of school in a clinical setting in a, in a long time since I started AMP basically, we're actually taking our first student, uh, I think next next semester I have to sign look over that agreement with the university. But anyway, um, <laughs> that's a good reminder. I got to look that over. Um, what what are some things that you maybe I don't know some you kind of touched on this a little bit. Some patterns maybe you notice or are areas where students maybe uh, need a little guidance on that you mm-hmm. see kind of across the board. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I, I can speak to um, two two recent PT students who we've actually had a resilient Jordan, who you actually know. And then Carmen, who's currently finishing up his, his last couple of weeks with us. So I think, I think one thing is even with people that have great backgrounds, I think one of the hardest things for most students is figuring out a safe starting point. So it's like they can do a great evaluation. They can do all the special tests or whatever they want to check. But then the question I ask them is like, okay, where do you want to start? Or what do you want to do today? And sometimes like, and this is not a fit to offend anyone, you'll see like the deer in headlights look of like, oh crap, like what do I do now? So I, I think a lot of it is just like getting an intelligent starting point and making sure that like you're getting some kind of beneficial effects, but you're not doing something that will be potentially deleterious for this person. Like that's probably the number one thing that I see. Um, and the other thing is like, I feel like a lot of it has become, because of PT school, a lot of our decision-making has become very scripted where you expect things to follow like a very linear path. It's like, oh, well, if I give A input, I expect B output. But the reality is most often that doesn't happen. Like the only time that that's really consistent or should be consistent is more of like our long-term post-op cases where we have like a specific healing time in mind where we expect like, all right, well, based on ligament healing time or based on tissue healing time, like we're not going to be doing any sort of high intensity activities for at least like two to three months. Um, versus if you have more of like a insidious onset or an acute injury that's non-surgical, now the question becomes like, well, what can we safely start with? And what's our, like, what does our progression look like? And sometimes it's great. It's like, two or three weeks and they feel awesome. Other times you're working with somebody for months and they're just making incremental, like this very like ebb and flow kind of process, which is frustrating, but you're still, you're still going in the right direction. So I think entry point is the biggest thing. And then almost like prognosis and forecasting, just because students haven't had the number of reps, they don't really know what to expect. Um, so, and I, I think both of you guys have probably had this, these conversations of early on, I try to create, like I share my process or I share, here's where I'm coming from, here's what we're looking for, here's what we're going to assess, so that they have an idea of, like, as time goes on, these are our, like, checkpoints, or these are things that we care to see improvements in, Mm -hmm. and if we're seeing those improvements, even if symptoms are kind of staying a little bit more in, like, the mid-range, we're we're making progress, 
And I think the easiest example would be like somebody who's dealing with like a Achilles tendinopathy or something like that, who's a runner, because those are very low, often very load dependent injuries, but you'll see these incremental improvements as the actual quality, like the, the morphological qualities of the tendon improve. So you can kind of start to piece that together, but I think that's just very hard for students to get because they haven't had the reps yet. Right. And they, they don't have the same, they don't have the same number of exposures. They haven't gone through an entire process themselves. Like once you've gone through a single long-term like post-surgical process, all of a sudden everything becomes a little bit easier because you can just look back and it's like, you make the same relative progressions, the speed and intensity of those progressions might just be a little bit different. So those are, those are probably long-winded answers. Those are probably like the two biggest things that I've seen with students I've had in the past. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's great. Uh, the entry point for sure, like is something that I've, I've, I've definitely, um, remember as uh, when I was, when I was working with, with students, uh, it made me think of like, I had this, uh, there was a PT that I used to work with, um, uh, right before I started AMP, trying to think of like the tactful way to say this. Um, but it would be funny because like, I was, I, I was new to the company. So I, I would shadow him. I was shadowing him for the first week and every evaluation he did was 50 minutes long, looking at every possible thing you could ever want to look at like analyzing like their gait, like looking at like all this stuff. I'm like, bro, what are we, what am I doing watching this? And then no matter what the starting point was, we'll put them on heat and stim so that we make them feel better. I was like, what's the point of this entire evaluation? Like literally you just spent 45 minutes. Oh. Not even like, at least if you're going to spend that much time, like have it be talking with the person. So you get a good idea of their like history and like all that kind of yeah. stuff. But I was just like, oh. that's what it made me think of. But like, it's like almost like, uh, and I remember as a, when I was a new, like new grad, like I would focus, uh, I would do the evaluation and I would just do like manual therapy for as long as I could get away with, because I had to process everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was like, I had to think about everything. Like, and, and like, I'm like, all right, well, here's what I noticed. Here's where I think we should start. And I just would get like analysis paralysis. Right. But then you get reps right now. I can like look at a person and I'm like, okay, here's probably what we have to do depending on like their coordination, that kind of stuff. But it's just, it's just funny. Cause it's just bring, it's bringing me back, man. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I've had that same conversation with a, with a number of students and even some of my colleagues in the past of like, I've had plenty of situations where you, you meet somebody for the first time or somebody comes in with a flare up and you have no idea what caused it or what to do. So I do the same thing. Like if manual therapy is warranted, like I'll do it. Absolutely. I'll spend five, 10, 15 minutes. Like, all right, I'm going to think through this as I try to make them feel better. And then we're going to go from there. Or it's like my, my other go-to is like, all right, let's find a safe isometric position. Let's just hang out here for a while. Like split squat holds, like wall sit variations. Like there's so many things that we can do to get potentially like an analgesic effect and a favorable stimulus while also allowing you to kind of process all that information. Because like you said, like it's paralysis by analysis is a, is a real thing. Like if you're seeing, if you're seeing like 10 plus people a day, you have to make thousands of decisions. So it's very hard to make good rational, like good um, well-rationalized decisions if you're under such a time crunch. So that's, that's where like having those like mental models that you talked about, having like that past experience and just having that, that competence to make decision on the fly. Cause you can't plan every session ahead of time. You can have a general idea of what you're going to do, but as we all know, it's like, all right, stuff, shit hits the fan, right? It's like, yeah. all right, they come in, they were feeling great. And now they've had a flare up. It's like, all right, we got to take a couple steps back or we've got to, we've got to do some damage control. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's good. And I think it's important to talk about these things. Cause, uh, um, I know a lot of people, they, they, they take, they take ownership of that. Like it's their fault. You know what I mean? Like, Oh man, I suck as a PT because this person came in and got flared up. It's like, no, it's like an injury. It's pain. Like that's, it's unpredictable. You know, we can just do our best with the information we have. And then we have to take in new information and adjust at the, at the moment. Um, that's something a lot of, I know, 
but I did a lot of like was doing a lot of one-on-one -on -one mentorship prior to our um, like mentorship program. Uh, that was a lot of the things that would come up like, oh, I did this and they were doing great. And now they had a flare up and like they get like all like emotional about it. It's like, no, it's like think about the situation. What happened? Like what what could have led to this situation? How are you going to proceed? Because you can't do anything about it now, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think we've all been guilty of that. I think part of our profession is we, we inherently care about people and we want to help them. So if we're if we're investing our time and effort and then all of a sudden they're getting worse, like it's natural to kind of like take some of that ownership. But what I've I think I took this from Anthony. Uh, one of the things I love to say, especially with people that have like more of those recurring injuries, is I just tell them like, hey, this is a data point. Like this is this is good information because in the future it helps us make better decisions. Once we have more data points, we can make more accurate predictive um uh, like essentially predictions based on like all right in the past when we went, went along beyond this mileage in this period of time you had a flare-up so we're just going to try to minimize that in the future or hey like you went beyond this number of steps per day and then you had a little bit of a achilles flare-up so that's that's valuable information and as you said it's like they're not broken like i'll tell people like okay it's it's information it's it's a sensitivity but we're not dealing with like a a incurable injury at this point like these are all things that can be well managed yeah, that's a that's a good way to to phrase it. We we say a similar something very similar. Um, I have someone now I'm working with. I've, I've been talking about him on and off. Um, but he's a like an older older guy, um, basketball player. Shoulder pain for I don't know. He was going somewhere else for a while. wasn't getting better. It was getting worse. His overhead motion, like here's his shoulder flexion on his shooting arm, right? So I'm bringing my arm out to the side, like, and he shoots his elbows like way out here, and uh. Like the first thing we did was like, let's just get you back to playing basketball and like, see what happens. Cause you just stop because someone told you to stop. You don't have pain playing. Um, and then now it's like, okay, like his mindset shift over this period has been amazing. And I think it really has to do with him just getting back to playing because now he has actual like data, like where he can kind of see, okay, I played two games. I felt fine. I played the third game, shoulder got stiff. So now I know here's my capacity right at this, at this moment. And then we can like kind of use that as like, okay, like, um, Andy, remember like two weeks ago, you weren't able to play. Now you're able to play two games, right? That's that's pretty amazing. Like that's really good progress. Um, so even helping like a patient reframe things from that perspective is is, is super useful. Um, yeah, and this is this is obviously recency bias because I'm studying for my OCS exam in less than two weeks now. But it's like it's amazing because when you look at like the like the low back pain research, like they say the biggest predictor of positive outcomes is a positive expectation of getting better. So like if, like you said, like if you just change that like mental perspective, like that perspective shift of like, hey, like you haven't been doing this because somebody told you not to, let's see what happens when you do, then they do it and they have a positive result. And it's like, okay, now you're going to have this essentially like a positive self-fulfilling prophecy because they, they see that they're capable of doing it versus if you have like the nocebo effect where no, you shouldn't do that. It's bad for you. You're going to cause more damage. Then you just have this like deconditioning effect compared, combined with the fact that they're not doing what they love. And it's truly sad to see yeah, hundred percent, man. Yeah, and even like his perspective over the course of his his treatment has been been uh, it's just been cool to see a shift. Like uh, two, he was last week or two weeks ago uh, when he came in. He was like, oh yeah, like I asked him. I always you know check in. Obviously, well, I hope it's obvious. You check in with how they're doing, how their week's gone, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and he was like, my week was great. He's like, I played two hours and my shoulder got stiff. And I'm like, that's an interesting way to think about it because like a week ago or two weeks ago, he would have been like oh crap, my shoulder got stiff. And like, here we are back at square one. Now he's like, dude, I just played two hours. Like I did something stupid, you know, like I played way, way beyond my capacity and my shoulder's sore, but I was able to do it kind of thing. Um, it, and that's, cool. that's just cool to see. Yeah. Yeah. I, the other thing that I've noticed with, with people that have dealt with like more chronic issues that have taken away like their, their, their joys, whether it's like activity wise, lifting, 
whatever it may be. It's like when they get back to those things, you see a personality shift. Like when people come in, like they visibly, like they stand taller, they look happier, like they're smiling more. They're, they're like, they're happy to see you and they're happy to be because you've given them the opportunity to get back to things that matter to them. And I think as a, as a medical profession in general, I think we, we are kind of abysmal at doing that. Like we, we take the safe route because it's easier, but it's not necessarily what the person wants. It's like, I'll, I'll tell people like, Hey, like, like I've had a couple of like post-op knees who were like, Hey, I want to get back to tennis. I want to get back to running. And I'll tell them straight up. I'm like, okay, like just so you know, your, your surgeon's not going to recommend this, but if this matters to you, I can help you get there, but just understand that you're assuming a certain amount of risk. Like this is, this is not recommended, but if you want to do it, like I will happily assist you in the safest way possible to get to that point. But again, I always have disclaimers because, you know, what, what is medically advised and what is, what is feasible are not necessarily the same things. Yeah. Yeah. Informed consent, man. Yes. <laughs> but exactly. even like little, little things, right? Like a knee surgery and I'm um, thinking of someone we had as ACL, like lacrosse player, mm-hmm. like, okay, you're, you had an ACL repair and like, you can still work with your shooting coach, like just like sit down or like put yourself in a, a, a safe position, right? Like just don't yeah. go and cut on a, you know, an acutely repaired knee, like that kind of stuff. Um, those little things go a long way. And I think uh, maybe this is a, an assumption, but I would imagine that a lot of medical professionals downplay the role that that pay- plays in somebody's uh, recovery and rehab process. Yeah. yeah I mean, especially wow. like if you take an athlete and you take them away from their team, you take them away from their social network. And now they have nothing. So it's like, not only are they rehabbing an injury that they're frustrated about, they don't have any outlets to actually feel like they're, they're getting better. They're practicing in any way, shape or form. So yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Yeah. hundred percent, man. It's, it's wild. They're even going like the practices, like these little things, you know, it's just like, yeah, I don't know. They go a very, very long way. And I think those are things that are like, uh, I don't know what category you put that in and like our role, but like it's, it goes a very, very long way in somebody's rehab potential and just their, their general perception of what's happening and like their ability to recover and get back to where they're going to be and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, like we talked about uh, challenges we see with uh, students. What are some challenges that you yourself deal with as a physical therapist who's doing a ton of shit? <laughs> oh, geez. Um, where, where do you want, where do you want me to start? <laughs> Uh, are, are you talking about like um, patient specific challenges? Or are you talking about like mentorship challenges? I guess as like a, as a human and like professional who cares about what you do, like, is okay. it working? Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty broad question. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I gotcha. I mean, I, so I think one of the things is the, the, like, I wouldn't call it imposter syndrome anymore. Cause I think, I think everyone has that to some degree, like the idea of like always want, like it's growth mindset, but there's a negative connotation to something like imposter syndrome, like the belief that you're never quite good enough and that you can always be better. Um, so I wouldn't frame it that way, but it's like one of the biggest challenges for me is like, how do I continue to expose myself to new ideas, new people, like dissenting opinions so that I can better, uh, problem solve or, or you know, make, make better decisions in the future for myself. So I think that's something that I'm always struggling with, but in that, sometimes I think it's like, you kind of have two options. You go super deep in one hole, like maybe you choose a system or maybe you choose a, a mentor who you really respect and you kind of deep dive that one section and you get a lot of information, but then you have to come back up from it and synthesize like, how does all that information affect me personally? And then there's the other approach, which I've taken, which is go super broad, where it's like, learn a lot about a lot of different things. Like I, the last six months, I've read a lot more about business. I've read a lot more um, things about like, even like increasing connectivity and like psychology and and things like that. And I find them very interesting, but the question kind of comes like, well, one, like I enjoy that on a personal level, but does that influence me professionally? And I think to some degree it does. So it's kind of like balancing this, like, I think 
in general, I think all three of us are very analytical. Like we like answers. We like getting really deep. But I think sometimes if that's your personality, you have to kind of pull yourself out of that and give yourself a little bit of diversity from other spectrums. So like that's one thing I'm constantly dealing with is like it's kind of like the question of like depth versus breadth. Like we need both, but you can't do both at the same time. So I think what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to like deep dive one thing at a time while I'm doing some like diversity over here. And then once I feel good with that, then I find something else. But I keep some degree of like background reading or information or something like that in the back of my mind at all times. Because otherwise I get too, I think we've all gotten too tunnel visioned where we find something new and it works really well for a period of time. So we kind of stick to it until we find a roadblock and then we got to kind of pull ourselves back from that. Um, So that would probably be like one of the biggest challenges, I guess you could say that I've, I've been experiencing. Um, And then more recently, it's kind of, obviously I haven't been out of school for that long, but I'm trying to find better ways to consolidate my own thoughts into like a logical system. So it's easier for me to teach those things. Like, I think one of the things with mentorship that I'm trying to consistently get better at is being able to speak to different levels and different communication styles. Um, I think with some people, they're very, like I've had some students who watch me do like one session and they pick it up right away and they do the same thing with the next person and it goes really well. And I've had others who they learn by doing or they learn by discussing after. So they don't really take, they don't have any really good takeaways until I've actually explained, here's my rationale, here's how we progress it, here's what we're doing. So it's, it's really hard because you've got to figure out like the personality type along with the learning style to kind of have the best overall impact. And I'm, I've just referenced like students, but the same thing's true for patients, right? Like I've had, I've had a number of patients where I'm sure you can relate to this, like the ones that are, are very hard to get talking, like they'll give you one, like think of your kind of like awkward, like early high school, like athlete where their, their social skills maybe aren't the best. Like they're, they're not necessarily the best at kind of expressing their fears and their concerns and how they're feeling. And you're trying to kind of get information and trying to show that you kind of like create an alliance with them. That can be very tough. So it's kind of learning to, to kind of read the, read the field a little bit better and then choose your phrasing, your wording, even your interventions based on that, how that person's present, presenting to you. So I think the more experience you get, like we're not limited in the tools that we have access to. We're limited in our, our time and our resources to use the most appropriate tool. So I think a lot of what I'm trying to do now is better refine my own thought processes and kind of come to better, better conclusions and better ways of communicating these things with a more diverse population. Because that's definitely something that I've found myself struggling with in the past where if it's somebody who speaks on my level, it's super easy. It's like the whole session just goes really smoothly, but you get somebody where it's like, you maybe just don't have a lot in common, or maybe they're kind of like standoffish. That becomes very hard because now it's kind of like, you're, you're kind of like, it's a one-sided conversation. You're trying to, trying to, trying to get something back. Right. So I think those are, those are some of the most, I guess the, the top of mind challenges that come to mind, but it's, it's, a, it's a constant process. It's never, it's never perfect. Never perfect. No, it's awesome, man. Yeah. My, uh, my business coach, she always says, uh, like business is really, uh, basically you're figuring out what problem you want to have, right? You're, you solve one problem and then you're on to the next problem. You know, what problem are you cool with? So people will debate like cash, cash base versus insurance, right? It's like, well, no, that's yeah. not a debate. The debate is what problem do I care about with my business and the vision that I have for my business, you know? Um, so I always think that's what I was thinking about when you said that we, we, um, the reason we keep our mentorship program, uh, small is because of that is the learning style aspect of things um, is because we're able to kind of cater to the individual person's how they learn right so we have like different ways we do this so with like small groups um, we have one-on-one sessions where some people are just like like bro literally just tell me what this, the salient points are of this I'm like I don't know what's yep. salient for you but now yep. I have to be like okay well here 
here's where yeah. you should be at after you listen to this module, that kind of stuff versus like mm-hmm. some people it's like, okay, Encore is going to take you through these exercises because I think it's under, important for you to understand what they feel like, what they look like, why you would use them, how you would progress them, like that kind of stuff. So we kind of try to like capture all that in there. Um, mm-hmm. But it really comes down to that is like my ability or an Encore's ability to communicate to the person in front of us, the learning style. And that is only going to make us better at one, being clear up here in our thoughts and two, communicating with patients, right? Clients, like all that kind of stuff. Yeah, Uh, it's definitely, sorry, go ahead. The the mentorship group, uh, we have people, so in a group, you have people who are just exposed to this stuff or have not been. They find it interesting and hence they're there. And there are people in the group who are like, they are into bones bending and twisting in space time and stuff. (laughs) And and then you, you have to address both of them so that so that the newbie does not get bored or intimidated or you speak in this speak in a way so that the other person who is like very deep into it also finds that conversation helpful and that is something that sean me greg we are working on it's a constant process but yeah like you'll find two spectrums in the same group but i would even say even the people that are talking very very high level always benefit from being able to bring it bring it back down i would always say that because we've noticed it right we have people who come into the program i want to i want to get better at at programming like okay cool and then they're like actually the most valuable thing was understanding some of like the principles that go behind these things because i thought i got them but now i get them like in a way i can explain to a person i'm like all right that's cool (laughs) and queuing those simple exercises yeah when in doubt go back to the basics right that's it whenever i screw something up what 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 fundamental step did i miss because it's definitely on me <laughs> exactly exactly um on, on the subject of well mentorship i put it in the subject of continuing education um so you you teach for r2p still right yeah so I, i'm still a i'm a founding member and a um and a presenter for r2p academy so like you mentioned like our in-person course we also have some online like self-guided courses that are like you you buy them you have access to them forever and it's pretty much self-paced where you have access to all these videos, exercise libraries and things like that. Um, so that's something that we're continuing to expand out as we build some more in-person courses as well. Cool. And then you also are clinical instructor, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. What I guess, I mean, I kind of think I know we kind of touched on this, I imagine. Um, but how has uh, being taking part in continuing education as an educator helped you as a clinician? I mean, I, if anything, I would say it's probably the the... <laughs> it sounds almost it's a little selfish but like teaching is the best form of learning because like you guys just talked about like if you can if you can speak at every possible level like i have been lucky to have some courses this is going to sound terrible but when i when i first started presenting i was like maybe two and a half years out of school um so i had a i had a very good background i had very good mentorship so i felt competent in that role but there were times i was teaching courses with clinicians who had 15 to 20 years of clinical experience. So if in order to speak at the level of like a student and a 20 plus year clinician, you've got to be able to have, you've got to be very malleable and be able to have like a very flexible dial. Um, and I think that comes back to what you just said about like first principles. If you can relate everything you're teaching back to a foundational knowledge, whether it's, hey, this is exercise, this is, this is well-explained exercise physiology. This is anatomy. This is um, our best understanding of neuroscience, neuroanatomy, neurophysiology, whatever it may be. And you can apply that on multiple levels. Now you can appeal to not only the student who's learning these foundational concepts right now, but you can also apply it to your, your 10 plus year uh, veteran who's, who's heard these concepts, but maybe hasn't thought of it with that mindset. 
Like you're, you're, you're not going to teach somebody who's been out of school for 10 or 20 years, a single exercise and blow their mind. It's more so you're going to give them some, some tidbits about how to refine their own thinking process to then streamline their own abilities for the future. So like, I I'd say being a presenter, being in con ed, I have felt like a much more competent clinician because I've had so many discussions, like whether it's case study based, whether it's people asking me questions about their clients, whether it's talking to students about like areas that they feel most, uh, most limited or most uncomfortable with. And because I've had so many of those conversations and, and I've seen like both struggles I've had and, and similar to students I've had, like you understand their struggles from a like a empathetic standpoint. So it's easier to help others overcome them because you've been there. So it's, I, I look at it as like the best possible way to have like real life experience in the clinic paired with kind of like the theoretical of here's what we're doing. Here's why we think we're doing it, but here's how we test our outcomes. So I think it's kept me in a lot of ways. I think it's kept me more like in the middle because I used to get lost in theory. Like I admit that I used to love to deep dive everything. Like I wanted to learn the answer for what is the meaning of life? Like what is evolution? <laughs> like I wanted to go deep in that hole. But I think by being a instructor and being in, in more of the con ed realm, you have to take yourself out of that because you need to give people practical takeaways. Like I'll go on a brief aside of like, I'm sure we've all taken courses where we've left and we like, well, that was really interesting, but I don't know what the hell I'm going to do on Monday. Right. Or like, is there anything I can actually apply to from this right away? And the reality is like, we want for all of our educational opportunities, like we want to give people both theoretical and practical takeaways. It's like, here's why we think we're doing this. Here's how we're going to do this. And here's how we have fail safes along the way. That would be my, my long winded answer to that great question. Yeah, that's awesome. No, that's it's, it resonates with, with me in a lot of different ways. Um, one with just like the mentorship program, like an unintended benefit for me uh, is the questions that people ask because they're thinking about things, right? It gives me one insight into how they're thinking about things, but two, it's like their perspective is obviously going to be different than my perspective for any number of reasons. So it's like a lot of times I have these light bulbs where I'm like, oh, I never really thought about it that way. Actually, it's a great question. It makes a lot of sense. And then I can draw like parallels pretty quickly and like figure things out. So it's still like learning for me just from like, you know, in a, in a different way. Um, and then the other thing is the the practical takeaway aspect of things. Um, because when I wrote when I wrote out the mentorship program originally, I was very self-conscious that it wasn't like enough. Like it was too like I'm gonna say the word basic. I don't mean to sound like it's like too basic, but like um maybe like too much into like the fundamentals and like people aren't gonna get value out of it. And then we got the feedback form back from the first one and everyone commented, man, I love how this gets to like the, to the, the principles. I love how basic like the information is and I can understand it. And now I can apply it to the things that I'm doing. Um, Cause I think that practical takeaway aspect of things is what gets missed in a lot of continuing education programs, mentorship programs where it's like heavily heavy influence on like volume of information versus like, how can I actually think about this and use this information? Cause those are two, two very different things. Yeah. One you get on YouTube. One is, you know, is what it is, right? Yeah, <laughs> kind like, of thing. <laughs> yes, bones bend in space time. Great, but how do I implement it with my client who's coming in tomorrow <laughs> with that chessboard? What do I do with that? You unbend them, man. That's it. Un unbend them. Them. Yeah. <laughs> you, you skipped the primary one. You went right to tertiary. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, and it's like some of those things, like like now I'm at a point where like um like I feel pretty confident with like a lot of the, the fundamental stuff. 
And my interests are like, okay, I need to better understand some stuff like in the cranium, maybe because it's interesting to me, but also maybe there are people that I can help with it. Maybe like I come in with someone who has a head injury and I'm like, this stuff will be useful. Or it's just like information that I'm like, okay, I've gotten to this point. So I'm going to just continue going down this, this, this path and, and furthering my knowledge um, versus like you're in school still. And you're going that route. Like those are two very different different things. And I think that like with like social media and like how information is portrayed in the world, it's hard to make that delineation. Like where the person is who's consuming this content versus where person B is consuming this content. Because those are two, you know, I don't know, they're just very different perspectives. People think ribcage pelvis stuff is like basics and easy. Like it's not easy. (laughs) It's not easy. (laughs) It's very hard. Mike, were you going to say something there, or uh, I was going to? I forgot. No, <laughs> <laughs> no I was I was rambling about the the uh, perspective of like who's taking certain continuing education. Uh, like yeah. a new a new grad uh, taking yep. talking about like cranium and like yeah, malocclusion yep. in your mouth versus like someone who's yep. like a little more experienced. I, I, was gonna, I was just going to say like I I was um, my last I had a four month internship during my undergrad experience, which was actually at IFAST. So that was my first exposure to. Bill and Mike Hartman or Mike Robertson and all the all the other awesome guys at IFAST. And during that time I got exposed to a lot of these types of concepts. And then I immediately started PT school, like my first year of PT school right after that. So I had like all of these great ideas in my head. And then I got PT school and I just got like it was just like this rude <laughs> awakening of I'm like, all right, we're gonna talk about IT band syndrome today. And I'm like, oh no, oh no, like I'm I'm paying a lot of money for this. So there was yeah. there was honestly some like resentment that I had to overcome there, but in the long term, like I definitely I definitely appreciate it. And I realize like it's good to understand both sides of the world because it helps you communicate to again different people in different levels. So it's it was a challenge to get through, but now I can look back on it and be like, all right, this was this was actually a good good experience for me. Yeah, yeah. It's still useful, right? It's still useful. Um what mm-hmm. you, on, on that subject, you're studying for the OCS OCS right now. What is yeah, uh I don't want to say like how has that process been, but I guess given like your understanding of like literature and current literature and current evidence and actual clinical practice like what is your what is your perspective or that you could share on that one so like I, I i'll be i'll be thoughts <laughs> yeah no I, i'm i'd love to hear your thoughts too like I'll, I'll be i'll be very upfront like i i got ahead of it because it's it's a big exam like for those that don't know it's offered once a year if you don't pass it you've got you just waste a couple thousand dollars and you either have to take it the following year or just not take it again so it's a board specialty certification exam um, to, to be totally honest, like it's been a frustrating process for me um, for a number of reasons, but I've also tried to find like the silver lining of the reason I took this exam in the first place was not just the credential, it's to become a better diagnostician. So the thing that I do like about the OCS, and I know Sean, you already have it, is I feel like it does a good, it does a much better job of, than school of, of allowing you to rule out red flags, to put people in criteria or like cluster based um, categories to determine like, does this person need a referral? is this person appropriate for me? And like, what expectations should I have from like a recovery standpoint, both non-operatively and, ser- and operatively. Um, so I, I have gotten a lot from that. Like just for me, just reviewing like more in-depth anatomy, reviewing like diagnosis that I don't see a whole lot of, like going over some like post-surgical condition- conditions has been very helpful. Um, but as you kind of alluded to, my frustration is oftentimes like with the literature, like they, they base a lot of their information on CPGs or clinical practice guidelines. And those are very well intentioned, but it's based on a very large population of oftentimes like non-homogenous individuals. So it's it's very hard. Like, yes, you can cluster them based on presentation and symptoms and findings, but I, I still find it very tough to draw 
singular conclusions based on a large population of people that are very different. Like you can cluster them by age, you can cluster them by length of symptoms, you can cluster them by possible pathoanatomical contributions. But in the long scheme, we're still dealing with a, a broad array of different factors. So I, I think the guidelines from those things are helpful from a like prognosis um, and likelihood of having a condition, but not necessarily from a what's the best course of action to treat this. And I think it helps like rule things out that just generally don't help at all. Like I'll just, I'll just say it like things like therapeutic ultrasound, probably not going to ever use that in clinic because it's probably just not helpful. But there are certain instances where like manual therapy is actually probably the most beneficial thing. And that's been shown for things like acute neck pain and certain types of non-radicular low back pain. It's like that can be very helpful, at least in the short term, as a means to getting people back. So I think for me, it's like I'm having to eat a slice of humble pie and realize like the, the purpose behind something like the OCS is to generally expand someone's knowledge and make them a little bit more well-rounded. And that's why I'm taking it. But, but I think my inherent analytical nature is frustrated because I don't always love the answers that they give. Like they'll, they'll, they'll give an answer, like what kind of intervention should you use based on the current level of evidence? And oftentimes like that answer may not be what I would do. And I understand why that's the case, but I've got to kind of go with what the literature currently says and acknowledge that like, I'm, I might be wrong and that's okay. But based on my current thought processes, my current model, there are certain instances where like come top of mind, like if I have somebody who had a uh, meniscal injury or meniscal repair, and the, some literature may say like, I don't want this person to squat below 90 degrees. It's like, okay, well, what about the fact that we can change rate of loading? We can change magnitude of loading. We can have some degree of progressive overload. We can offload. It's like, there's so many different things that we can do clinically to get this person doing relevant activities. I don't like this. We should not do this activity. Like that's just too black and white for me. So I think that's, that's the thing that doesn't jive well with me, but I understand why it's the case. Like I understand it's because we have to deal with research. We want to be better as a profession from raising the standard of care. And I think those are great. Um, but I think there's always going to be gaps of what could be improved. You basically summed up more eloquently than I could, my thoughts on, <laughs> on the situation. That's even actually why I took the OCS was, was mm -hmm. literally like the medical differential diagnosis, like that kind of yep. stuff. I was like, I need to get better at this. If people are going to be coming to see me off the street with stuff and I, I can't be the person who like misses some huge red flag or something along those lines is, is pretty much why I took it. <laughs> but my frustration is very similar. Yeah. And honestly, like I, I, even now, like in my, in my situation at, at resilient performance, like we're, we're very similar to you where it's like, it's out of network. It's cash based. We're not seeing people as often in most cases. So if I have somebody coming to me off the street, I'm not expecting to see them two or three times a week necessarily. So if I miss, if I quote unquote, like miss an important diagnosis, the first couple sessions, I could be setting them up for failure. Like if they have something more severe going on and I'm not ruling that out, then I could potentially be not even liable, but like I, I would be responsible for not giving them the right direction in that case. Yeah. A hundred percent, man. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, Mike, I have to get going because I have to, uh, speaking of patients, I do have to treat patients. I know you're, you're in the process of writing a book, which I wanted to talk about. Um, yes, sir. and you're doing a lot of other cool stuff. Um, so with that being said, in your like five minute closing here, anything that you, we didn't talk about that you, you would, uh, yeah. you would like to uh, speak to. Yeah. So I'll, I'll keep it brief. Like I, we, we've talked about this a little bit, but it's, it was kind of a spur of the moment, more recent thing. Like I've, I've always loved writing. Like honestly, in high school, like I enjoyed creative writing. I don't like the, I don't like the like poetry and stuff like that, but I, I've always enjoyed writing and creating things. Um, and at, at some points in my life, I was like, oh, like in the future, I'd love to write a book. And it was kind of just a, hey, this would be interesting. Like I'd, I'd enjoy this challenge kind of thing. Um, and what it more recently turned into, I, I found myself having the same conversations over and over and over again 
both with clients, with colleagues, with um, even with like friends and, and family about general, like, like going back to principles, like general training, health, fitness, and performance talks. So basically what I did is like, I kind of sat down and I was like, well, if I were to write a book, like what would it involve? So I literally, the first thing I did is I wrote out essentially like a, like an index or like a chapter summary of if I were to write an all encompassing field guide to like fitness, health, and performance, what would it involve? And it kind of came down to, all right, well, I need to talk about like, what is health? What is, what is performance kind of dictate what those things are. I need to provide basic, like tangible, like training takeaways. Like what are our key principles for all training? So things like progressive overload, um, great exposures, things like that. And then from there, it's like, all right, I give them basic information. Let's talk about things like stress. Like how does stress affect the body, both from a positive and a negative? And then from there, it's like, all right, well, let's talk about what are the benefits of exercise? So quite literally, like I sat down, I wrote out like the general outline of what information needed to be included. And then I basically started writing it in, I think it was probably end of December. And I'm already about halfway through, which is six chapters and like 160 pages in. But the, the cool thing is I'm, I'm trying to make like a, similar to what you said, like from a mentorship standpoint, like a, a quick re reference for people of all levels, but geared more so towards people that are like just getting into it or more of like the intermediate. But I still want to have some takeaways for people that are maybe like us, where they're like higher level, they've been doing this for a number of years, but maybe I offer a different perspective or maybe I synthesize things a little bit differently than they've been exposed to before. And they might get something from that. And that could be like, I'm going to write like a, a not a super in-depth, like a chapter on like, exercise modification and prescription. I'm going to talk about programming a little bit. I'm going to talk about like common myths and misconceptions of the health and fitness industries. So I, I want to have like a, not a super deep, but a very broad guide that someone can reference. And then in the book, I'm going to give a bunch of recommendations for further reading that's much deeper than what I'm going into. So like, that's probably the, the biggest thing that I currently have going. Um, and as I've already said before, like the other thing is just getting more RGP Academy offerings. Like I know I'm, by the end of this year, I want to have a return to lifting course that hopefully will be online in person, maybe in the future. That'll be something that's kind of like near and dear to my heart because I've always been involved in strength sports. So I'd like to create like, like we talked about, like create like a full continuum of if you have somebody who has an acute injury, how do I get them all the way back to some of these more intense strength, ballistic power, uh, power-based activities um, and that can be applied to field sport athletes. It can be applied to strength conditioning athletes, but it should be more strength and conditioning based within the realm of kind of physical therapy or reconditioning. That's awesome, man. So like a uh, small projects, nothing too big. Yeah. Yes. Just little yeah. projects. That's, that's <laughs> mostly like, yeah. 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 Oh, that's awesome, man. Yeah. I look forward to the, to the book. I would uh, imagine that the writing, the process of writing a book, similar to the process of writing a course where you really are like, I have to be synthesized. How can I synthesize this, inf all this information into something that is bullet points to the takeaways, you know? Yes. It, awesome. Man. Yes. It, it's quite a challenge, but I think it'll be good for, for everyone in the long run. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Mike, uh, I really appreciate your time, man. Uh, glad to have you in our network. Um, and when the book comes out, let us know. I'll blast it to the email list and, you know, yep. we'll go, we'll go from there. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you both so much for having me on. It was a pleasure. Yeah. Likewise, man. Yeah. I guess. Take care.